0: As Alan mentioned earlier, we are thrilled that David Flair is joining us as our interim minister. Not only will he bring continuity to our worship, but he will provide much-needed expertise in our minister search. When we first met David over a month ago, we recognized how little we know about uh, the process of the search. Um, as, as he began to tell us about the details, we realized that we were going to need more members than our original four-person team. We knew that we would need more hands and a broader, range of, a broader range of talents because it's not just a matter of references and resumes. The search process is seeking after God to discern who He is calling to serve as minister here. And we're not going to begin with collecting resumes, but with a look at ourselves and our church asking what are our values and our priorities, and where do we see God moving? Because we want to tell our story clearly, because we want a minister who will fall in love with our vision. And once we have those candidates, then we will build relationships, spending time to get to know them listening to their sermons, reading what they've written, and having significant conversations. Through a lot of prayerful listening, we will recommend the candidate that we all agree is the one God has provided. And to do that work, we're pleased this morning as stewards to give you this list of members who have committed to serve on this committee. Rhonda Burkhalter, John Watson, Kim Greer, Alf Tischler, Brooke Duncombe, Wade Harlan, Rhonda Ryan, Eric Leon, Ann Bayless, Justin Duncombe, Teresa Kramer, and me, Melissa Zenzitz. We are excited about the possibilities ahead, and we ask for your prayerful support as we seek God's lead in the coming months. And now let's continue.
1: Well, good morning. I'm delighted to be with you on this beautiful day in Houston, Texas, home of the Houston Astros and the Houston Rockets and the Houston, Texas, and 1548 Heights Church of Christ in beautiful Houston, Texas where the weather in November is utterly delightful. And it's grateful, I am grateful to be here as we begin a new season of life. From time to time, I suspect friends will come and visit. Like this morning, we have Barbara and Dwayne Evans. I became acquainted with Barbara and Duane as I read their story and one of the great Histories of Churches of Christ, written by Richard T. Hughes, entitled, Reviving the Ancient Faith. I discovered that Dwayne Evans had been involved with Mission Magazine, a profound journal associated with our movement, open-minded, revitalizing it. The Exodus Bayshore Movement that took people, communities of people, from deep in the heart of Texas up to the northeast quadrant of this country. Racial reconciliation in the 1960s, but what got him was he was a leading thought person with the Holy Spirit. Duane had discovered that there were three members of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, when Churches of Christ thought there were two members of the Trinity, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit was hiding out in the Bible and behind trees. And so when I met Dwayne after I'd read all about him in Richard Hughes's book The Reviving the Ancient Faith there's a picture of Dwayne Evans with his 1961 Texan crew cut. <laughs> it's in black and white but when I met him just two decades ago I could tell it was Dwayne. And after reading all about him and knowing about him I said Dwayne, you are my hero. But Dwayne Evans and typical Dwayne Evans fashion, and what I learned about Dwayne Evans was his reply. He said, no, he said, you're my hero. (laughs) And that's the personality of this couple (laughs) who defer praise and make you feel like a million bucks. Well, Stephanie, you did all right picking those parents of yours. (laughs) Good job. I'm honored to be with you at 1548 Heights Church of Christ. It's a sacred trust, really, to be the in this transition, this interim minister following Matt Soper. Matt and Angela now settling into their rainy home up there in Seattle, Washington. Matt Soper, the co-founding, the co, the co, the refounding—that's it—the refounding pastor of 1548 Heights, this 99-year-old congregation. Barbara said this morning she remembered sitting in the balcony in 1942 at this very church. But over the last decade, God has laid a new foundation, and God used Matt, and he used you to lay this foundation, and now God wishes to use you again and build on that foundation and that is why I call my responsibilities a sacred trust. Matt and Angela loved you and you love them. I mean Matt and Angela love you and you love them. It was a perfect departure, warm and caring and their desire for you is that you will now build on this foundation that's been laid. This congregation has a gifted minister in Ann Bayless who's been with you for over a decade as I understand it who has been and will remain the soul and the heart of this church carrying so much of the pastoral responsibilities an essential cog we're poised to do something important someone said we'll need time to transition we'll need time to transform to find The right person to discern God's will, as Melissa perfectly said it, to discern God's will for this next season in this church's life. Oh, my role is going to be the rickety bridge uh, from we've lost our preacher, our preacher's left, to here's your new preacher. How long? How long, you ask? Well, general wisdom is that for every year that a minister has served general wisdom, think of a month in transition. So if a minister has been here five years, think of five months. If a minister has been here 10 years, think of 10 months, with the exception of a horrible, terrible minister, and it's going to take longer, or or a co-founding pastor who is nothing short of beloved. Last night, I enjoyed dinner in the company of Randy and Rhonda. As you do when you sit across the table from people, you begin with lighthearted things in common, talking about sports and how everybody's prejudiced against the Houston Astros, <laughs> especially the announcers, <laughs> that kind of talk. But then we got to family and faith and life and things that really mean something. It was hospitality and fellowship, and I hope to share similar joyful experiences with all of you, each one of you. In the months ahead of us. And so, the sermon. I have a little prelude to the sermon before the sermon. The prelude, <clears throat> I'll announce where it's from, let you wonder, uh, is something that is a little, it's a, it comes from Scripture, but it's been a little tweaked. But let me perform it now. God made me Before He created anything else, God made me a long time ago. Before He created the earth, before the rivers and the lakes and the mountains and the hills, I was there. When God stretched out the earth's horizon and tended to the details of soil and weather, when God set the sky in place, I was there. God set the boundaries of the wild ocean. When he said, this far, no further. When God inscribed a circle on the face of the deep, made firm the skies above, installed the the fountains that feed the ocean, when he staked out the earth's foundation, I was there. I was making sure everything fit day after day, applauding God's good work, enjoying God's good company, delighted as God created the world and created you. So, my friends, I want you to listen carefully. I want you to embrace my ways. If you do, you'll be blessed. I want you to live with discipline and wisdom I don't want you to squander your precious life. I want you to be blessed because blessed is the man and blessed is the woman who listens to me. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 12 to 34. Now the sermon. This is typically where The preacher says, I'd like for you to open your Bibles to such and such a Scripture. But I don't want you to open your Bibles. I don't want you to touch your Bibles. I don't want you to even touch your screens. Because if you tried, by the time you got to the text, I will have already recited it. And it'd be too late, you'd be distracted. So I just want you to listen. The text, now don't turn there, just listen. The text is Proverbs 15 and verse 17. And it goes like this, better is a meal of herbs where love is than the fatted ox and hatred with it. See? That's it. You've read it before. Have you ever ever been in one of those read the Bible through, read the book of Proverbs through in one month. He's got 31 chapters, 31 days in a month. You could read through the book of Proverbs, and we get to months like November that only has 30 days. You double up, and you can get through Proverbs easily in a month. And you've probably read Proverbs 15:17 on a number of occasions. And you know the Proverbs. You know they're pithy little sayings that sum up life. Sometimes there's a confusion about where you might find this proverb. Is it in the Bible or did I get that from someplace else? For example, I gave this, I used to teach introduction to the Old Testament and I'd give the students a test. And one of the questions was, "A, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Question, is that found in poor Richard's almanac or is that Proverbs 25? Wait for the Lord and he will help you. Is that Hallmark, or is that Proverbs 20? Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Did I get that out of a fortune cookie, or is that the book of Proverbs? Who said, my son, fear the Lord and the king and don't disobey either one of them? Was that George W. Bush? (laughs) Was that Joe Biden? Or is that Proverbs chapter 24? Well, I don't know. I forget the answer to those questions. What I do know is that this is in the Bible. Better a meal of herbs where love is than the fatted ox and hatred with it. The truth is that Proverbs, whether they're biblical or modern, capsulize reality. They frame the truth in a memorable and portable way. So, you hear the marriage broke up. Why, I wonder. Well, you know, it takes two to tango. You're sleeping in till 11 in the morning, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Of course, the trick is to match the proverb with the life. Our proverb is this, better a meal of herbs where love is and the fatted ox and hatred with it. This proverb proverb that I've just recited moves in two directions, the past and the future, to help us live in the present. Better a meal of herbs where love is than the fatted ox and hatred with it. Notice the format. A better saying, this is better than that. The teacher, the sage, has framed our reality. We have two options drawn from the family table. Herbs are better than the fatted ox. Vegetables better than roast beef. But this is not a cholesterol verdict. This is not suggestions for the diet that's going to begin on January 1st. A little with love or a lot with hatred. This isn't a menu. It's a lifestyle standard of living where people have time for one another where people and relationships are valued over every other thing for better is a meal of herbs where love is than the fatted ox and hatred with it this is a funny sermon you're preaching it faster than i can preach it you're already creating these scenes from your life from the past stories that you still have to live out. Better a meal of herbs where love is, a table set with the simplest of foods, but surrounded with people who have easy laughter. Look at them now, warm embrace, people who love. They care for one another. They're looking one another in the eye. They're so inclusive. How are you doing, they ask. And the fatted ox and hatred with it. It's a banquet table complete with silver and crystal and ice sculpture and the finest meats and waiters and watchful attendants. But look at him. There's gloomy hatred. There's no laughter. The conversation is cold. There's no affection. I'm thinking of a man now in his late 80s. He could be your grandfather. He has something to say. He wants you to come over for dinner and a visit just you. It's not what grandma used to cook when she was alive when you walk in. He's got turkey that he picked up from Kroger's, pulls out of the refrigerator, iced tea, pull-apart bread, some sliced peppers from his neighbor's garden. There's a plastic red bottle on the table and a plastic red bottle on the table. And then he says, will you say grace, And during the meal, he shows you, he gets up and shows you the secret place where he's kept the valuables. He tells you a story or two that you've never heard before. It's all about the family and how much he loves you. And that's it. And you get in the car and you drive home and you think, better is a meal of love. Better is a meal of herbs where love is. I think of a young couple recently married. Their kitchen table is a, one of those card folding tables, the mars and the stains hidden by a sheet over the table. And in the middle sits a f- flickering rummage sale candle. It's tuna casserole, the only dish she knows how to make, sliced carrots and tap water. And in the corner on the floor is a record player, Ah, their favorite album. And they, for the rest of their life, will call this their sweetheart's banquet. Better is a meal of herbs, where love is. Oh, I think of special friends. I think of small groups. I think of family gatherings. I think of potluck at church. I can see a communion service now painted at the end of the movie, Places in the Heart, that was filmed in Texas. It's a story shot through with adultery and an accidental shooting and racism and fear and lynching and financial shenanigans. But in the closing scene in a rural church, communion is being passed, and all the crucial characters from the movie are there. And as they pass the emblems, each one says to the other, the peace of God, the peace of God. Better is a meal of herbs where love is On the other hand, I can recall the strained wedding rehearsal dinner, the bride's parents there who bitterly opposed the marriage, the groom's parents divorced and now at the table for the first time in years. Oh, it was a lush spread, but hatred and the fatted ox takes away your appetite. Or the husband and the wife who enter... The sleek venue where the maitre d' welcomes the couple with words spoken in a foreign language. And the waiter offers a stunning array of fine wines, and they're seated on the roof terrace with the cityscape. A pianist at the Steinway, it's a five-star venue, and they dine on a main course of saffron, fettuccine, and rabbit sargou But before dessert is served, the man informs his wife that there's someone else that for months, he's had a girlfriend. And as the French pressed coffee with the mocha java cakes and their rich melted chocolate centers are being served, the couple now without appetite, because he says, he'll not be coming home tonight because he'll be staying somewhere else tonight. Oh, better a meal of herbs. And I remember the meal where Judas slipped away from the table and disappeared into the darkness. Better a meal of herbs where love is than the fatted ox and hatred with it. <clears throat> this is such a strange proverb to our ears. It's not a proverb that any twenty first century American could possibly write. In fact, twenty first century Americans, maybe you have been trying to do it, want to deconstruct this proverb. First, Let's remove that offensive word, hatred. And then let's create some more options. For example, not either or, but good, better, best. And the best would be love and filet mignon. No, the teacher says it's either or. Better is a meal of herbs where love is and the fatted ox and hatred with it. You won't find this proverb on a billboard or a t-shirt attitude apparel. You won't find this proverb embossed on a coffee mug. Bumper stickers reveal the very opposite attitude, the attitude this proverb counters. The bumper sticker that says, he who dies with the most toys wins. Or the refrigerator art with the picture and the inscription, picture yourself in Cancun. And those voices that we hear urging us to take the extra job so that we can secure the place up there at Martha's Vineyard during the hot and humid summer. Proverbs fifteen seventeen is an anti-consumer proverb. It's an anti-acquisition proverb. You have two choices as a Christian in America, A or B, and this little proverb is one way to fight against The ever-present voices in our head that ask us to upgrade and expand and buy and acquire. The pop-up ads on our computer screens. The televisions, never-ending commercials, even during the game, have created the illusion that we need this. They request that we invest our lives to get that. It's the American conspiracy that the more you have, the happier you will be. Proverbs 15, 17 says, that's not so. Proverbs 15, 17 says, here's one way to fight the oppressive, have-it-all philosophy. So maybe we might photocopy this verse and magnetize it and put it on our refrigerator or tape it onto our bathroom mirror so that we see it every morning when we're putting on the makeup or make it into a plaque and put it on our office desk. This portable, memorable piece of Scripture studies us in a, and helps us ward off despair. This proverb reminds us how it's been. How it should be in the choices that we make all day every day people or things time or money home or business better is a meal of herbs where love is than the fatted ox and hatred with it it's reality capsulized it's truth framed it's memorable it's portable And it's the question we ask ourselves frequently during the course of the day. What should I do? This is Scripture. This is the Word of God. And it captures our reality from the past, and it asks us to look to the future. What will be the next table when we take our places? What will be the setting? What will be the food? What will be the ambiance? What will be the thread count in the tablecloths and the fine china? Or will we be consumed with the people and the faith and the concern and the care and the love? Will we walk away with full stomachs and empty hearts? Or will we savor the moment and live in the experience? Proverbs 1517, when we remember it our future begins, this proverb that in the course of this sermon you've unintentionally memorized yourself. Better is a meal of herbs where love is than the fatted ox and hatred with it. So now that you've memorized it, internalize it and live it out today and tomorrow, and for the rest of our lives. I'm glad to be with you.